Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 35, as we follow along with today's lesson. There was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and she died. And so when they washed her body, they laid her in an upper chamber. And inasmuch as Lydda was very close to Joppa, And the disciples heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Hurry, Peter, come on down to Joppa. And then Peter arose and he went with them. And when he was come, uh, they uh, brought him into the upper chamber. And all of the widows were standing by him weeping. And they were showing him all of the coats and the garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. She was one of those special women, talented, a seamstress, could do anything. And and she was always looking out for others, ministering to others, one of those precious saints. And and so they were showing, you know, she made this little coat for little uh, Jacob, you know, and uh, all of the things that... Uh, she had made and done. They were sharing with Peter. Then Peter put them all forth. Uh, Remember when Jesus was brought to the house of Jairus, uh, the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, uh, whose little daughter, uh, Tabitha, had died. And uh, how that when he arrived at the house, all of the mourners were there and they were, you know, wailing and everything else. And Jesus said, cool it. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And, and they began to laugh him at him. They began to just were scornful. They were nasty. And Jesus said, get him out of here. And so they put them all out. And he took just Peter and John and the mother and father Uh, of the little damsel, and he commanded her to rise. So Peter, uh, the same, put the other people out. Um, Lest there be probably a spirit of unbelief and all that would hinder uh, the work that God was wanting to do. Uh, They were weeping and and they were all into this, and so they were ready for the, the miracle Peter put them all forth and he knelt down and he prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Jesus said to the little damsel, Talitha kumi. Peter said, Tabitha kumi, very similar. Um, I can understand why he put the people out. I mean, if you're going to talk to a dead body, you don't want a lot of people around. They'll think that something's wrong with you. And so he he put them all forth, and then he addresses this dead body. And uh, much like Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He addressed 
the dead. So Peter addressed the dead. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he lifted her up, and when she had and when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Don't you know that that was an exciting experience? I mean, Peter comes out of the room holding hands with Tabitha, and he says, you know, here she is. And it was known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried there for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So this is now setting us up for chapter 10 as the Lord is going to be opening the door to the Gentiles through Peter in the 10th chapter, a very exciting chapter as we see the beginning of the Gentile church, of course, of which we have become a vital part. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. In the Bible, we are introduced to different centurions. They all of them seem to be of high character. A centurion was over a hundred soldiers in the Roman army. You remember there was a centurion in Capernaum who had a servant who was very sick. And the people came and they said to Jesus, this fellow has helped us build our synagogue. He's, he's a good man and he is worthy. And so Jesus said, I will come and heal his servant. So as Jesus was on the way to the house to heal the servant, word came to the centurion that Jesus was coming to his house and his wife probably said, honey, the house is a mess. The servant's sick, hasn't been able to clean the place, and we can't have the Lord coming here and all, look, can't. So he sent other messengers back and said, don't bother coming. I understand authority. I'm a man of authority, and I have under authority, and I have under me men, and I can say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, comes and he comes. And I know that all you have to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. Not necessary you come to the house. Just speak the word. Jesus commended him. He said, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. From among the Israelites, he had not seen such faith as was manifested by this Roman centurion. When Jesus was crucified, it was a centurion standing near the cross when he saw the events of the crucifixion, who said, surely this was the Son of God. Now we have Cornelius, another centurion. He's in Caesarea, which was the Roman capital of that area, the 
Roman magistrates ruled from Caesarea. And we are told in verse 2 that he was a devout man, one that feared God with all of his house. And he gave much alms to the people, and he was a man of prayer. So, very commendable. He lived a good life. He was seeking God. He feared God. He prayed. And he gave alms to the people. Now, here is a second case in the book of Acts where we find a person who is outside of the covenant nation who is devout and seeking God. We remember earlier we were introduced to the Ethiopian eunuch who was the treasurer of Ethiopia under Candace, the queen, who had come to Jerusalem to worship God and was returning back to Ethiopia. And we remember how that God sent Philip all the way down by direct revelation to this area in uh, the uh, Gaza Strip to meet the man in order that he might introduce him to the understanding of Jesus Christ from the scriptures. So a man searching for God and God by divine direction sent someone to him so that his search for God could be fulfilled so he could find God. Now here's another man. He's a Roman. He's a centurion. And yet he is searching for God. He is praying. He's probably been introduced to uh, Judaism to the idea of one God. He has come from the pagan roots of uh, Romanism with, uh, or, or from Rome with all of its many gods and to the belief in the one God and he is praying and he is helping the poor and uh, he's a devout man. And again, God by divine intervention and by divine revelation is going to meet this thirsty soul by sending by divine revelation someone to share with him the way of God more completely so that he can come into a full understanding and relationship with God. So he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, he is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside and he shall tell thee what you ought to do. So God is going to meet this man whose hunger is for God 
with a fuller revelation. And notice how the angel specifically instructs him on just where Peter is and uh, gives him implicit instructions of how he might come to a fuller, richer revelation and understanding of God. So when the angel which spoke to Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all of these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. It's about a 30-mile journey, 25, 30 miles between Caesarea and, and Joppa. And so two of his servants and one of his soldiers to accompany them were sent to Joppa. Now on the next day, the morrow, as they went on their journey and were drawing nigh to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. It's interesting to me how that God always works on both ends. It wasn't just, you know, God working in the heart of Cornelius and instructing him, but now on the other end, God's going to work in the heart of Peter. So God working on both ends brings his purposes to pass. I have had many people come to me and declare that God has spoken to them for me. And uh, they have a message from the Lord for me. Now, I have found that quite often God has already been working in my own heart on that issue. So that God was working on both ends. And as they come, it is a confirmation to me of those things that God has been speaking to my heart. Other times, they're off the wall kind of things. And I pass them off. Because I do believe that when God is dealing with you, he works on both ends. Uh, if someone would just come and say, you know, we had a vision and you're supposed to come down to Tijuana and start a ministry there, I would hesitate unless the Lord had, you know, given me a great desire for tamales and enchiladas and, <laughs> you know, and shown me uh, a vision of... Uh, ministering among the Mexicans or something, you know. So uh, it's, it's something that God works on both ends. He'll work in your heart, and oftentimes then the work is confirmed by someone coming and sharing with you. So Peter had gone up about lunchtime to pray, six hours noon, and he became very hungry. And he would have eaten, but while they were making ready the food, preparing the food, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great canvas knit at the four corners, and it was let down to the earth. 
And there were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No way, Lord. And, and it is really in the Greek a little bit stronger than not so. I'll have none of it, uh, literally. Uh, so uh, that's sort of interesting, though. I'll have none of it, Lord. The Lord has given him a commandment. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I'll have none of it, Lord. <laughs> See, that really isn't consistent, is it? It's sort of the inconsistencies I think that oftentimes we have when we argue with the Lord or when we uh, are fighting against what the Lord is saying to us. Now, the voice spoke to him the second time. First time, the voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat, and he refused, saying, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him the second time, What God has cleansed, call not thou common or uncleansed. And this was done three times, and the vessel went up again into heaven. Now, as far as the Jew was concerned, the Gentile nations were unclean. And in a person with strong Jewish background, strong Jewish roots, it is extremely difficult to arise over the hold that tradition has on you. Traditions many times are stronger than doctrine. And we hold to the traditions even when they are not doctrinally sound. Peter, growing up in the Jewish tradition, looked upon the Gentiles as unclean. And the Lord is going to bring into Peter a very radical and dramatic change. The realization that God will save Gentiles. The Jews did not believe that a Gentile could be saved. They believed that the only hope for a Gentile, as far as salvation was concerned, was to become a Jew. They had to proselytize into the Jewish faith in order to be saved. And this was the feeling of the early church. It was, it was their feeling that a Jew could not be saved, I mean that a Gentile could not be saved, he'd have to become a Jew in order to be saved. Now, the Lord is trying to break Peter from this tradition. And it should be noted that though he began to break him down, it wasn't Peter still had problems with this later on. Later on 
in the Gentile church of Antioch where Paul was ministering. Peter came up to visit the church and he ate with the Gentiles until there were certain of the church from Jerusalem who came on up and then he separated himself and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And it caused a division in the church of Antioch so that Paul rebuked Peter to the face because of his creating this division because even Barnabas was carried away with the division that took place there in Antioch when Peter separated himself and would only eat with the Jews and not with the Gentiles. So it's a difficult thing to overcome deep-seated traditional background. And with Peter, it took a direct work of God's Holy Spirit to, to deal with him on this issue. And so it took three times this vision that he saw do you suppose that three times he said, not so, Lord? And, and, and it, you know, the Lord had to say to him, don't call that unclean, which I have cleansed. Now, while Peter wondered in himself or was perplexed what this vision might mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate. They had arrived in Joppa, and they inquired around, where does Simon live? And so they were directed to Simon's house, and were now at the gate of the house. And they called, and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was staying there. And when Peter thought on this vision... The Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Now, Peter didn't know what this is all about. What, what does this mean? And so the Lord now is going to clarify the vision to him. And the Lord will speak as directly to Peter as he did to Cornelius concerning the things that are happening. So the Lord said unto him, there are three men who are seeking you. Arise therefore and get down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now Peter still doesn't know what's going on. He knows he's had a strange vision. He knows that the Lord has sort of rebuked him. Uh, the Lord has told him that he has cleansed things that Peter isn't ready to accept as being clean. And so the command to just arise and don't doubt, I've sent them. So Peter went down to the men that were sent unto him from Cornelius and he said, behold, I'm the one you're looking for. For what cause have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, 
a just man and one that fears God and is of good report among the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house that he might hear words from you. So Peter now is beginning to understand Cornelius the centurion, he's not a Jew, but God has spoken to him. He is favorable towards the Jewish people. He's a devout man, and God is speaking to him. So he called them in and lodged them. Now, prejudices are beginning to break down. It was an unthinkable thing to invite a Gentile into your home. Every place that he would sit down would be considered unclean. Uh, if you would sit down where he had sat in a chair, then you would be unclean. They felt that this ceremonial uncleanness could be transmitted by touching or touching something that a Gentile had touched. And so to invite them in to spend the night was the beginning of the breakdown of the prejudice. And on the next day, Peter went with them and he took certain brethren from Joppa. Now, these men that went with him were, were Jews. And I think that Peter suspicion God's going to do something and I want witnesses and so he took six men with him uh, from the church in Joppa that if God should happen to do something among the Gentiles he'd have people that could back up his story because when we get into the next chapter we find that Peter was called on the carpet for going to the Gentiles. They, they heard in Jerusalem that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit and all. And when Peter came back to Jerusalem, they began to contend with him. They said, you went to the Gentiles. And so Peter had to tell them the story of how it was that he went. But he, they were calling him on the carpet for uh, going to the Gentiles. Uh, this feeling was, was, was very strong. It's hard for us to, to imagine uh, the racial prejudice that did exist in their hearts and minds. So the next day they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was waiting for them. And he had called together his kinsmen and his close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and bowed down at his feet and worshipped him. And that worshipped him doesn't mean that he's actually worshipping Peter, but he bowed down in the, uh, in the oriental custom of bowing and doing obeisance. But Peter took him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Uh, refusing to uh, received the adulation or the uh, worship of this man. Herein is a real problem 
When a person has been used of God, a person has been gifted by the Holy Spirit and has been an instrument through which God has brought help, blessing, sometimes healing to a person, it is very common for people to then begin to hold that person in high regards uh, to sort of elevate them in their minds above others. Thinking that they are closer to God, thinking that they have some special inroads to God, and they sort of hold them in reverence and um, adulation. In fact, they sometimes even start calling them reverend, or they start calling them the most reverend, or the most right reverend. And they start adding titles to the titles as they are elevating that individual. Now, the danger is when the individual begins to receive that adulation and tries to stand on the pedestal that they are building for him. Peter was always careful, as were the apostles, not to allow the people to hold them up on a pedestal, elevate them and exalt them above the others. Peter didn't say, kiss my ring, man, <laughs> if he were the first pope. But he said, stand up, I'm, I'm just a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Now I'm certain that as Peter walked in the door, it was probably the most difficult step he had ever taken. He had never been in the house of a Gentile in his life. It was strictly forbidden by their interpretation of the law to enter the house of a Gentile. And yet, in the back of his mind, he could see this sheet, he could see all of these animals, and he could hear the Lord saying, don't call that unclean which I have cleansed. So, against all of the prejudice, traditional, he stepped over the threshold into the house. And there were many that had come together. It was a great gathering of people there in the house of Cornelius. And he said unto them, you know that it is unlawful for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came unto you without argument as soon as I was sent for. And now I ask you, what is the purpose 
for which you have sent me, sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting unto this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers heard, and your alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. God heard his prayers. God was cognizant of this man's generosity, his concern and care for the poor. And so this man in bright clothing said, Therefore, send therefore to Joppa, call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside. And when he comes, he will speak unto you. Immediately, therefore, I sent to you, and you have well done that you are come. Now, therefore, we are all of us here present before God to hear the things that have been commanded to you by God. We're here to hear God's word. We were told to send for you. We did it. It's good that you've come. We've gathered together. We want to hear God's word. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, God had declared that way back in Deuteronomy. It was a reoccurring theme. God declared he was no respecter of persons. It was something that was spoken of in the Psalms. And of course, it's a theme that Paul picks up many times in the New Testament because Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So Peter is coming. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In other words, he is understanding that you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. God will accept a Gentile. Who seeks him. Now, he's not saying that you can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. You see, here was a man who was sincerely seeking God, and so God made provisions for this man to hear the gospel that he might be saved. God accepted his prayer, God acknowledged his heart, and God sent his word that he might have the revelation of Jesus Christ in order that he might be saved. It's not saying that you can be saved apart from the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it is acknowledging that God will judge a man according to the light and the understanding that that man has. Living up to that understanding... In, Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives that story of the Lord who went away into a far country leaving his goods in charge with a uh, steward who, when the Lord did not return after a prolonged period of time, said, well, my Lord delays his coming and 
He began to abuse his position. He began to be drunken and abuse those that were under his authority. So that the Lord came an hour when he was not expecting. And he took from him his position, his authority. He commanded that he be given over uh, to punishment. And then the Lord said, For he who knew the will of the Lord and did not according will be beaten with many stripes, yet he who did things that were worthy of many stripes because he did not know will be beaten with few unto whom much is given, much is required. So there is always that issue, well, what about a person who has never heard about Jesus Christ? The Lord will not be unfair when he judges. He'll be righteous when he judges. And a person will be judged according to the light and the understanding that they have been given. That can be positive and that can be negative. If you've heard and you reject then greater punishment than those who did things worse than you did, but yet they didn't know. And so I, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons in every nation. Those that fear him and work righteousness will be accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, this the, the message of God of salvation came to the nation of Israel through Jesus Christ. Peace with God is possible through Jesus Christ. This message that was sent to Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. And basically it, that is the peace with God that man can have through Jesus Christ. And peace with Fellow man, because as Paul points out in Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus has broken down the walls and the barriers that existed between national and ethnic groups. That as we stand before God, we all stand on the same level. God is no respecter of persons. Paul points out in, in his letter to the Romans that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said there's no difference, and that's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, nor is there any difference in the method by which we are saved. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so we are all on the same level when we stand before God. Is no respecter of persons. So God sent the message to Israel, the message of peace by Jesus Christ, for he is the Lord of all. Now, that word, I say that you know, because it was published throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. As, as Paul was later talking to King Agrippa, he said, Agrippa, you know these things. They weren't done in a corner. In other words, Jesus wasn't something or someone that nobody knew about. His ministry was so spectacular, everybody knew about it. They were all talking about it. It wasn't done in a corner. 
People all over had heard about Jesus Christ and the miracles that he did. It was a well-known fact. He didn't just minister in some little corner area in secret. And so that word was published throughout Judea. By word of mouth, it was published around. And it began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, the ministry of Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So he speaks of the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. God was with him. And Peter says, we were witnesses of all of the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. But him God raised the third day and showed him openly. So, so again, the message of the resurrection, that's the message of the gospel. Identifying Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good, filled with the Holy Spirit, healing Delivering, God was with him. In Jerusalem, he was slain, hung on a tree. But God raised him from the dead the third day. That's the message. Peter said, we were witnesses. God raised him and he showed him openly, not to all people, but unto witnesses who were chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. You remember Jesus ate with them on different occasions. He said, you know, you, know, it's, um, you believe I'm a ghost, but I'll, I'll, I'll eat. And uh, he, had, he ate with them on different occasions. And so Peter is testifying. We were witnesses. Uh, we... We saw him openly. Now, remember in the 14th chapter of, G, of, of John, Jesus talking to his disciples said, Henceforth the world seeth me no more, but you see me. And one of the disciples, Judas said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest ourselves unto us and not unto the world? Uh, and Jesus said, well, he it is that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He that loves uh, he is, it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me will be loved of the Father, and we will come and manifest ourselves. So after his resurrection, he did manifest himself unto those who believed, his disciples. He showed himself openly. Those who he had chosen before, foreordained, even to us. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the alive, of those who are alive and those who are dead. Judge over all. To him give all of the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive the remission of sins. 
Uh, all of the prophets spoke of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, they all spoke of those who would believe in him would receive the remission of their sins. Now at this point, Peter's message was interrupted. Interrupted by the Holy Spirit. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all them which heard the word. There was sort of a second Pentecost of sorts. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit just fell upon those who were listening. And they that had come with Peter of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed, they were astonished. Can't believe it. These people are Gentiles. God's given them the gift of the whole. Can't be. They were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the second chapter, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, the 120 who were waiting, as the multitudes gathered on that day, wondering what was going on, amazed, Peter preached the message of the resurrection to them. They were convicted and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do since we've crucified the Lord of glory? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is unto you and to your children and to those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, Peter had told them that on the day of Pentecost when he was talking to the Jews. I don't think that he really realized that he was saying that the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to be for all people, the Gentiles too. But as many as the Lord our God shall call, not really realizing at that point that God would be calling a multitude of Gentiles to the faith in Jesus Christ. Though it was prophesied in the scriptures by the prophets of, of the Gentiles uh, receiving uh, the glorious gospel. So uh, those that have come with Peter are shocked because God has given to the Gentiles the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then prayed they him to tarry certain days. They begged him to stay for a while. So here is the beginning of the Gentile church. God pouring out his spirit and now calling out from among the Gentiles a bride for Jesus Christ, the Gentile bride of Christ. And so 
Beautiful, beautiful picture of the beginning of God's work among the Gentiles of which we here tonight can give thanks to God because of the door being open to the Gentiles. We're blessed because of what God has done in that he is no respecter of persons. He receives each one of us on an equal footing. He doesn't close the door to any man. And thus, we are wrong if we feel that one race is above or superior to another. Absolutely wrong for us to think that one man, because of his nationality or because of his ethnic background, is less than we are. There is that tendency to promote a person's ethnic background and characteristics of it. And so many ethnic groups feel that they are superior to other ethnic groups because of certain characteristics or traits or whatever. And we as Americans, and unfortunately many of the Anglo-Saxon Americans feel that they are superior. Not so. God is no respecter of persons. No matter who the man is, no matter where he is from, if he will call upon God, he can be saved. And so it's a thrill to go into the jungles of New Guinea and see these people who still live in a primitive culture and to go into their huts and to sit there in their huts and worship God and pray together with them. And their simple faith, some of the greatest blessings have come in just listening to them as they talk of God in that simple faith. And I feel that I felt as I was there that these people are miles ahead of me in their understanding and in their relationship with God, uh, the way they relate and the way they talk about God in such a simple, beautiful way. God's no respecter of persons. Standing before God, we all stand on the same level. return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Peter addressing the dead, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Acts 9 through 10 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. 
If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and watch over and keep you. May it be a good week. And I pray that the Lord will draw you unto himself. You'll find some quiet time and a quiet place where God can minister to your heart of the things that are eternal, that we won't be so bound by the daily obligations, the necessities, or what we refer to as the necessities of life. But like David, he said, I esteem your word more than my daily bread. And that we will be drawn to this kind of a communion with the Lord. And that we might become far more aware of the spiritual values than the worldly values in which we spend so much time. May the Lord draw you unto himself and minister to you in a special way this week. May you have a testimony next Sunday of what God has wrought in your life this week as you've opened your heart to him and to the things of the Spirit. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Every year, Pastor Chuck used to give a prophecy update to prepare Christians to be ready to give an answer to anyone who wants to know what the Bible says about the future. And right now, The Word for Today would like to offer you resources that will help you comprehend and unravel the scriptures that pertain to prophecy, such as Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Revelation, or a collection of DVDs that relate to Israel, the rapture, and the Holy Spirit in the last days. I encourage you as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to become informed about what the Bible says about the soon return of Jesus Christ and to be able to share your faith with others. For more information about resources concerning biblical prophecy, call the Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.